Well, we are nearly at the close of our Kingdom Encounters in Matthew, and we were going to close this session, but I'm going to need to go one more time in Matthew. Today we're going to begin with Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. Kingdom Encounters, why it matters. It's, it's Holy Week, and it's Thursday night, and Jesus and his disciples are sharing what will become known as the Last Supper before the crucifixion. And in verse 20, we read that when the evening comes, Jesus is reclining at the table with the twelve, and they're eating, and Jesus says, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they, they begin to say to Jesus, each one of them, Surely it is not I, Lord. All the disciples throughout these kingdom encounters, they, they've seen great success, but they've also seen their share of foibles. So it's a legitimate question. And there's something else, too. We, we know from last time that Judas has been given money by the chief priests, 30 pieces of silver, to betray Jesus. So a question which we don't have an answer to, but it's, it's a great question to ask. Was Jesus giving Judas a window to repent of his actions? It's curious. Verse 23, Jesus responds to these questions of surely not I. He says, He who dips his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. We have to keep in mind that in those days it was a large communal bowl. So that's something to consider too. In chapter 26, verse 24, we read that the Son of Man is going away just as it is written about him. These are the words of Jesus. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Think about the far-reaching implications of such a statement. There's no hope for redemption. If this one, Judas, is going to cross that bridge, there is no going back. For Jesus, the Lord of life, the Lord of creation, the Lord of eternity, to say words such as, it would have been good for that man if he had not even been born, that's huge. Verse 25, Judas, who is betraying Jesus, says... Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And it's interesting that Judas uses the term Rabbi. He, he doesn't use Lord. He doesn't use Master. There's no, not a sound of intimacy there. He evidently does not see Jesus as Lord. But he says Rabbi. And one can almost hear him say that with a, with a hint of mock respect. Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus says to Judas, you have said it yourself. Matthew doesn't tell us when Judas takes his leave. I would imagine since now Judas knows that Jesus is aware. Judas probably makes a fairly quick exit. The disciples and Jesus share the meal. And, and toward the end of the meal, Jesus takes some bread. And after a blessing, he breaks it and he gives it to the disciples. And he says, take, eat, this is my body. And then he takes a cup and he gives thanks and he gives it to them and he says, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you new in my Father's 
kingdom. The kingdom of the Father. As Moses was the mediator of the covenant of Israel in the wilderness, Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he is the mediator of the covenant which is now being fulfilled in himself. They, they sing a hymn, then they go out to the Mount of Olives, and they come to a place called Gethsemane. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, we read that Jesus says, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus points forward from a prophecy first seen in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, where we see that Christ the shepherd will be the sacrifice for all who would believe. Jesus shares of this scattering, and then he says in verse 32, But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Away from the others, he falls on his face and he prays, saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Three times, actually, Jesus prays to the Father. Jesus comes to the disciples and he says to them, on what would be the third time he returns to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up and, and let, us, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Judas comes up accompanied by a large crowd. And immediately Judas goes to Jesus and says, Hail, Rabbi, and kisses him. And Jesus says to Judas, Friend, do what you have come for. They come and they lay hands on Jesus and they seize him. And behold, we see in chapter 26, verse 51, one of those who is with Jesus reaches and draws his sword and strikes the slave of the high priest and cuts off his ear. And Jesus says to the disciple, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or, or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then would the Scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? What? Verse 55 tells us that at that time, Jesus says to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a man inciting a revolt? Every day I used to sit within the temple grounds teaching, and you did not arrest me. Verse 56 says this, But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets will be fulfilled. Then all the disciples leave Jesus and they flee so that the scriptures of the prophets will be fulfilled. If we were to flip back to the very beginning of the Bible, back to Genesis, in chapter 3 we would see the top corner of this very big picture of salvation. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent tempts Eve, and she and Adam, as we know, they eat the forbidden fruit and they bring sin into the world. And the Lord has to mete out punishment. And one of the things that the Lord God says to the serpent in chapter 3, verse 15, I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant, 
and that's descendant with a capital D, which is interesting. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is where the story of salvation begins after creation is established. The story of salvation, the story of the crucifixion. Even then, the cross was the plan. In verse 57, we read that those who have arrested Jesus, those who have arrested Jesus, they lead him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders, they're gathered together. Now, the chief priests and the entire council, they, they keep trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they can put him to death, and they don't find any, even though many false witnesses come forward. But later on, two come forward, and they say, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Jesus' authority has been questioned since his ministry began. In John chapter 2, verse 19, we read that Jesus responds to the questioning of his authority. He says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And the Jews reply to him in John chapter 2, verse 20, This temple took 46 years to build, and you are going to raise it up in three days? But Jesus, we find out, is speaking about the temple of his body. And at this mock trial in Matthew 26, verse 62, we read that the high priest stands up and, and he says to Jesus, Do you offer no answer to what these men are testifying against you? Jesus keeps silent. Did you know that in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, in Isaiah 53, verse 7, we read of one who was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. The high priest says to Jesus, I place you under oath by the living God to tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says to him, you have said it yourself, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. We saw this just a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus echoes earlier words from Daniel the prophet in Daniel chapter 7. When Jesus says in Matthew 24 that the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. We are seeing Jesus and these events in his life as scripture being fulfilled. The high priest tears his clothes and he says, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And that counsel says, He is worthy of death. They spit in his face and they strike him with their fists and others slap him. And they say, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who hit you? This mocking and abuse the Lord knew it would happen. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Isaiah 50, verse 6, reads of the suffering servant who would say, I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults 
and spitting. All of this has to take place so that the scriptures of the prophets will be fulfilled. In chapter 27, verse 1, we read that when the morning comes, all the chief priests and the elders of the people, they confer together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bind him and they lead him away and they hand him over to Pilate, the governor. And then there's a scene change. Judas, who has betrayed Jesus, sees that Jesus has been condemned and he feels remorse. And he returns the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. 30 pieces. This is the Old Testament wage paid for an injured servant. We saw this last time in Exodus. The innocent servant, Jesus. How interesting. It's not just a coincidence. Judas says to the chief priests and the elders, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they coolly reply, What is that to us? You shall see to it yourself. Judas throws the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and he leaves and he goes away and he hangs himself. The chief priests, they take those pieces of silver and they say, It's not lawful to put them in the temple treasury since it is money paid for blood. And this is ironic because they probably took those 30 pieces initially from the temple treasury to give to Judas. They confer together and with the money they buy the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. And we read that for this reason that that field has been called the field of blood to this day. We read in verse 9, Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field, just as the Lord directed me. There in verse 9, we we see in the Old Testament book of Zechariah chapter 11 of an insult given to the Lord by his unfaithful people. Can you even imagine insulting the Lord intentionally? Zechariah asks this unfaithful people just how much they value the Word of God. And in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12, the sons of Israel, they weigh out 30 shekels of silver. And the Lord says to Zechariah in verse 13, Throw it to the potter, that magnificent price. And the Lord says this with with sarcasm. That magnificent price at which I was valued by them. How interesting that Jesus, the living word of God, has been valued at this 30-piece shekel price. All this has to take place so that the scriptures of the prophets will be fulfilled. Jesus goes before the governor, and the governor questions him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says to the governor, It is as you say. Now during Passover, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. And at that time, they are holding a a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And so the people gather together, and Pontius Pilate says to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? And they shout Barabbas. 
And Pilate says, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they they shout, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and our children. Interesting. Let his blood be upon us and our children. Then the soldiers take Jesus into the praetorium and they strip him. They put a scarlet robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they kneel down before him and they mock him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him and they take the reed and they begin to beat him on the head. This abuse continues to fulfill what we saw earlier in the prophet Isaiah. They then put his own garments back on him, and they lead him away to crucify him. In chapter 27, verse 33, we read that they come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They give Jesus wine mixed with bile to drink, and after tasting it, Jesus is unwilling to drink it. And then we read in verse 35 that when they had crucified Jesus, they divided his garments among themselves by casting lots. Way back in Psalm 22, we we see words of King David. In Psalm 22, verse 16, we read, A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them, and they cast lots for my clothing. Words of King David. Scripture fulfilled at the crucifixion of the Son of David. All of this has to take place so that the scriptures of the prophets will be fulfilled. Sitting down, They begin to keep watch over Jesus there, and above his head they put up the charge against him, which reads, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And at that time, two rebels, they are being crucified with Jesus, one on the right and one on the left. And those who are passing by, they speak abusively to Jesus. They they shake their heads and they say, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, they mock Jesus and they say, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He has trusted in God. Let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. In Psalm 22, which we just read, David shares some more words in verse 7. All who see me, they sneer, they shake their heads, saying, Turn him over to the Lord. Let the Lord save him. Let the Lord rescue him, because the Lord delights in him. All this has to take place so that the scriptures of the prophets will be fulfilled. Why does all this matter? Why does it matter? In these kingdom encounters, we've seen power and glory in the actions of Jesus. And we just heard those passerbys say, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. 
Could Jesus have come down from the cross? Could he have stopped all of these taunts, all of the verbal abuse, all of the physical abuse? In the garden just before he was arrested, could he have called those twelve legions of angels to his rescue? Could he have called halt to the plans of the disciple who would betray him? No question. There's no question. But Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father. Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father for the sake of us. All of this has to take place so that the scriptures of the prophets will be fulfilled. Why does this matter? When we see this, it it helps our belief. Our belief in the Bible. Our belief in what it says. We can see the truth of why Jesus did what he did. And if all of this is true... If all of this is true, well, then when it says that I'm a sinner, that must be true. And when it gives me the good news that my sins can be forgiven, well, then that must be true as well. This is why it matters. Jesus, a suffering servant worth 30 silver shekels in the eyes of the priests, would be pierced through as an atoning sacrifice for all the sins of all the people, crushed for our iniquities, crushed for our sins. We're all sinners, and the Lord has to be allowed to deal with sin. I ask you this every time. Do you feel conviction about your sin? Uh, Jesus, taking our sins to the cross, gave us His righteousness, the righteousness required for us to stand before a holy God. We need the righteousness of the Lord because we're all sinners. The price, the wage of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, by dying on the cross, paid the price of the wages of our sin— God showed us His great love by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And if you and I can come to the place that we understand that as sinners we deserve death and that we need a Savior, and we can step past our pride to trust in Jesus being the only one who could die for us and be restored to life, if we confess our sin and our need for Him, if we trust in that and we have the belief, we have the faith that Jesus can pull all of this off, we can have a relationship of peace with God. This is why it matters.